Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The horror-thon continues once again on the 1980s movie graveyard. We got so many horror movies. We got horror movies coming out of our ears. I mean, it's crazy. They're piling up like the dead corpses that they are that we dug up out of the ground. Tonight, we're going to be joined, like, really, this is almost like a all-time, like, you know, a special gathering of uh, hosts here. We're rolling three deep on this one, so I want to get started right away. Everybody knows who I am, uh, but and everybody knows who Trevor is because he's a part-time, almost full-time grave digger. And you should know who Bird is by now, but in case you missed the Chopping Mall episode, Bird here is too. Trev, Bird, thank you for coming down to the graveyard tonight on such short notice, like, I called you guys. I got to thank you. I called you guys. I said, these corpses, man, I can't dig them up all by myself. These movies, they weigh too much. They're stood under too much dirt. You guys came down. Even with your own shovels, you came down. Help me dig this shit up. It's yeah, a pleasure no to be here. I mean, for a movie this complex, you need three people to analyze <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> and with the epic running length of 85 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what movie are we doing tonight? Tonight we are doing the ultimate classic of, <laughs> I don't know, foreign ripoff, <laughs> gory horror. We're talking about pieces. Welcome to the 1980s movie Graveyard. The show that lets forgotten movies have one last chance to shine. Now sit back and relax. Enjoy the show. All right, we're going to go ahead and get this started here. We are, we're all rolling off the Grindhouse Blu-ray, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure what the all the other releases of this throughout the years have been, so I don't know what the... Terrible. Ter- I have heard that they all look terrible, so I don't know. <laughs> there are a lot of um, public domain uh, right. VHS uh, rips. So if you're going to sync up with one of those, I'm not exactly sure what uh, menus and whatever logos you have. Our copies don't really have any, like, studio logos or nothing in the beginning, so we're syncing off of literally the one-second mark, which is just a black screen, and then it's going to really fast go into a cold open. So I'm going to wake my DVD player up here. I'm going to say one, two, three, go, and when I say go, everybody hit play on your DVD or Blu-ray players or laptops or whatever you have. Do you guys have remote in hand over there? Yep. All right. Yeah. All right, everybody, one, two, three, go. All right. Right away, Boston, 1942. <laughs> I love I love that they set it up that it's in Boston. How, how do they do that? 
They started in on a tight shot of a house that could be anywhere. <laughs> That's how you establish a city in time. Not even a, they couldn't even afford a stock footage shot of Boston. Well, you need to tell me though, because at this point, I'm, I don't believe anything is Boston unless I hear Ben Affleck's horrible accent. Yeah, in a film, so. I love that Ben Affleck has the phoniest Boston accent for a guy who's from Boston. How does that work? <laughs> out? Did he just grow up in the foofy part of town, so he didn't really have the accent? And now as a 48-year-old man, he feels the need to gain some street cred. All right, so right off the bat, we we got this scene that's setting everything up, ain't it? Yeah, man. Yeah, little boy putting together a nudie puzzle. He's just about to put a piece in that has a lady's bush on it. Was that what it was? Yeah, his mom, his mom could have at least waited a couple seconds. Yeah, wait till he's done with that shit. She comes and starts slapping him. And I, I was going to say, like, I knew this movie was going to be one for the ages, you know, I just seen this recently for the first time about a month ago. I knew this was going to be one for the ages when the actress starts literally slapping the shell of the little boy for real, like slapping his head everything. Yeah. And for some reason, they sh- they do slow-mo of her smashing that mirror. Mm-hmm. And not even slow-mo, but like they show her smashing a regular, then it's like a replay. <laughs> like a <laughs> fucking sports replay. Like we're watching a football game or something. Course, you know, she's upset. Oh, you probably got all this dirty shit, you know. It's just starts going through all the drawers, finding all the pornography. Now, and and she's saying, like, uh, like she's like, I bet he's got this stuff all over the like, he's right there. Why is she right. talking like that? Yeah, she she acts like she discovered it while he was like out playing or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> she just said, Hurry, hurry, stupid, and bring me a bag. Yeah, <laughs> she just called yeah. him stupid. She was asking for this, I'd say. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I just take it the way she flew off the handle here, you know, because the little boy just starts chopping on her head with a fire axe. But I mean, I think this was a long time coming, you know, like I, I think he just had one ass whooping too many right there. <laughs> I will say this is by far the dumbest movie I have that looks this good on Blu-ray. Oh, it looks amazing. What was it? What did the box say? It was a uh, 4K restoration. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe when I got this Blu-ray because it, okay. it's a film Bird and I were already pretty familiar with, and we'd watched you know bad transfers over the years, and I just couldn't believe that anyone put this much effort into <laughs> fixing up a movie like Pieces. It's so it's so much better looking than it deserves to be. I'm glad it is, though. I mean, like, you know, it kind of sucks when a movie has, like, you know, especially a movie that people love, like, the way people love pieces, like, uh, you know, for it to be so loved and have such a shitty, like, grimy VHS whatever release for, you know, 20 years. Well, it's nice, too, because because you you can make fun of the movie all you want, and I'm sure we will. But at the end of the day, there is some like pretty great visuals in it on a gore level and right. some other stuff. So it is nice to finally have uh, to show off that the director kind of knew what he was doing sometimes. Yeah, there are other some... times, maybe not so much. You know? Yeah, I know. There, like this movie, you know, kind of like when uh, we did House, Trev, and we were talking about how it was a bumpy up and down ride. This movie is very much in that camp. Like there's some mm-hmm. scenes that are kind of comically goofy or whatever. But there's there there's some of the killing scenes, man. They're beautifully shot, almost Argento-esque, I would say. Yeah, there's one in particular that I, you guys probably know what I'm talking about that we'll get to that I think like stands right up there with some of the best Italian uh, oh, murder yeah. scenes I've seen. You know? And you know, like I know it's real popular amongst horror fans and stuff. Here, the police come and find the mom's head in the fucking <laughs> closet. I know it's real popular among horror fans. They're like, like uh, it's more the trend was they they want to recreate however they originally saw the movie. 
Like, there's a lot of people, I saw it on VHS, so I need a VHS quality of this movie. But, like, me personally, like, I love to see actually kind of what rolled through the camera at the time that they shot it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something to be said for director's intent, not how yeah. you first experienced it. Yeah. For me, the watching a better version doesn't take away any nostalgia for no. any of this stuff. I'll, like, I'll be honest, like, there's a lot of movies that I thought were average, and when I see them on Blu-ray, I actually, the kind of, the score went up a notch for me, because I was like, okay, like, I kind of see that the director, you know, whatever flaws, but he, he had a little more going on than I thought the original times I saw this on cable or VHS or whatever, you know? I think it's like those white credits that started this look like cum. Am I wrong? Yeah, <laughs> it really, it's really like some gr- gruesome, like, uh, dripping shit. And then this is a drippy font, but it's orange, so... yeah. yeah. Uh, orange juice or something halloween no. spirit though yeah. like if the rocky horror font was like blood dripping down this is really somebody just spraying a hose full of jizz everywhere music by cam that's right can't <laughs> fuck with cam and uh yeah so what would you call this movie would you call this a uh you know a spanish movie from spain or like how would you classify this really it was like kind of a co-production wasn't it like yeah. kind of a, one of those international yeah, they shot it. In I always screen. thought it was Italian until. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But it's not. And uh, I gotta say, you know, if like something hits big in America, forty years later, <laughs> I love that title card. Something hits big in America, all over. You know, the foreign countries, like everybody's just trying to make the rip off and shit. Uh, I mean, obviously, this was cashing in on the slasher genre. But, like, what movie directly do you guys think this movie was trying to rip off? Well, like, it's got some, it's, it has some definite giallo elements to it. Yeah. So I think he was really influenced by those. Remind me the most of Deep Red, really. Yeah. I mean, looking at the background on Wikipedia, it seems like it was made, like, it was written by a British filmmaker. Right. Um, and then I think it sounds like a couple of American producers gave it to a Spanish director who then went off and filmed it in Spain. So, yeah, it just seems like it's... I, I would just call it an international film. It takes more than one country to make something this good. Yeah, you need, <laughs> you need talent from around the world <laughs> to make something. Now, here we have it. This is definitely the Jalio uh, section. We just see the, the black gloves going through the old box that has the, this, the bloody... Um, you know, clothes that the mom was wearing when she got chopped up, and then eventually the 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 naughty puzzle and stuff and i gotta say it's kind of interesting because obviously i mean it's no mystery that the killer is the little boy that we saw in the beginning but obviously then the mystery is well you know it's 40 years later so he could be anybody you know in this movie um what'd you guys think about the the you know a killer child he was probably i would assume he was shipped off to a psychiatric ward or something like that how is he going to get this evidence? <laughs> like, how is he going to get his mom's bloody clothes and shit? <laughs> Forty years later, um, I, don't know, I don't know, but I do want to point out that my subtitles just said "hip pop music playing." Oh, nice. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not sure, uh, I guess this is really hip pop music, you know. Well, here, this is a great scene that goes absolutely nowhere and means absolutely nothing. Also, no, but see, you're wrong because this is one of the reveals of the Blu-rays on the commentary. They finally explained this scene. Yeah, and I'm assuming you're going to ruin it for everyone now. Oh, like if you don't want me to, I won't. But I could, I could, you know. <laughs> well, we should. I mean, we should talk about after this gruesome introduction. We're treated to a good two and a half minute scene 
of some girl like really wobbly riding a skateboard around a college campus basically going wee everywhere and then she smashes into some guys like a fucking acme <laughs> cartoon yeah like a looney <laughs> yeah looney okay. tunes carrying a giant mirror so little, all right college girl on skateboard crashing a mirror trev ruined this for us yeah. Well, so this is just the way. Like, this is where we'll talk about the director sometimes, or the writers and director having a good idea, but not knowing how to like portray it on film. Mm. And I guess they say the idea there is that the killer saw her hit that mirror, and it reminded him of his mom smashing the mirror, and that's what actually sets him off and starts this murder spree. The problem is they give us no indication anyone is watching that happen. <laughs> right. No, that's that's so. executed terribly. <laughs> Well, I mean, this the scene is played in the middle of like him putting the puzzle together and having some brief right. flashbacks, but then it just goes into like some other girl, uh, like on a college campus. So like you really don't know like was that present we're, day? We're, was the it bad, a like, we're getting days into ago? so much. We're getting into so much wacky stuff here, where we see this girl studying on the lawn, and a guy standing roughly two feet away from her starts up a chainsaw, mm-hmm. and she just kind of quietly says, "Hey, are you going to be long?" And he can hear her, and he's like, "No, I'm, you know, just a couple minutes." <laughs> yeah. like, what the hell? <laughs> and, and then he cuts her head off. <laughs> he cuts her head off, and like literally a fountain, like a fire hydrant, of blood sprays everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre, guys. <laughs> no, you don't. You have to go to fucking Spain. <laughs> <laughs> now, here we have one of our heroes of the film, the great Christopher George, um, yeah. star of City of the Living Dead. That's right. Yeah, he, he's playing one of two of the uh, oldest <laughs> cops ever to be committed on film. <laughs> These guys are so old. The other one is like a fake like George Papard, basically. Yeah, that guy is so fuck. You know what's funny is the really white-haired guy, he's so fucking old-looking. But if you watch the movie, he's actually kind of the badass of the movie. Yeah. And if anyone else is uh, like wants another like great Christopher George performance, definitely check out his role as the villain in Enter the Ninja. Oh, which yeah. also includes one of the best death scenes of all time. Yeah. Here we have some inane uh, dialogue about a waterbed that I think we should talk about. Well, the most beautiful thing in the world is smoking pot and fucking on a waterbed. <laughs> yeah. <And I> lo- <laughs> At the same time. <laughs> and I love that there's like, the reason they're talking about it is there's recently been a waterbed installed on the student. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was it, gym or whatever? Yeah. Like, why yeah. would you put a waterbed kind of- in a gym? <laughs> And then this slutty girl who's just smoking pot, talking about fucking all over, she goes up to uh, sexually harass uh, a, a gentleman. He's a professor, probably in his very late 50s, and most likely a homosexual gentleman. So I guess that's like the game uh, of this school is like all the hot sluts, they want to like sexually harass the uh, older teachers who clearly are not going to do anything about it. <laughs> Like, well, hey, she never of, hires anyone without checking references. That's good. Like, obviously, what? like, on colleges, if, like, a teacher hit on a student and then the student went and reported, obviously there's recourse there. But is I wonder if there's disciplinary recourse for a professor to complain about a student in that way. Trev, do you, do you know the answer to this? Uh, what was the question? There? Like, like, you know how, obviously, if a student gets hit on by a teacher, they can report it yeah. and, like, whatever – is it vice versa? Could the, could a teacher tell on a student for inappropriate like behaviors? Well, I mean, you can you can always report sexual harassment, right? But I mean, I don't know how that. Yeah, I don't know what the protocol would be in that in that situation. Yeah, it's weird. I've always felt like uh, since we're in like a little lull part here, the the thing I guess I would say about pieces is that it feels like a movie made by people who just learned how to be human beings but haven't <laughs> yeah. quite grasped it yet. 
and that comes across in the behavior of all the characters in the film, the filmmaking. It's very bizarre. <laughs> like, it's, um, it's, it's really weird, too, because, like, everybody relates to each other in such an alien manner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we should mention that it's impossible to find an interview with Eli Roth where he doesn't talk about this movie. Really? He's, he's, as far as he hasn't oh, he's done a ripoff yet of it. Maybe he, he will when he's done with ruining Death Wish with Bruce Willis. <laughs> no, what 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 do you guys think about um the uh the what do you call I'm blanking right now, the, the guy who runs the school, the the dean. The dean? Yeah. yeah. Like what what do you what do you make of his performance? Because, like I don't know, it's like, when you first you watch the movie, you think he's just going to be some bland guy that only has, like, two scenes, but obviously they keep, he keeps popping up, keeps, like, whatever. Uh, I don't know, like, should he have been more of a red herring, or what do you think? Uh, I don't know, I, I actually kind of like his performance, because I think he, for the, for the long time this film, he does just come across as the asshole Dean that's in every, like, 80s college film, right? Yeah. But then later when we get near the climax, he actually does... Come become kind of fun for a little bit in like the apartment sequence, which we'll see later. Yeah, but I, I think this film like it's weird because you were talking about how you don't really know like who the killer is. Yeah, but I mean this film basically only posits like three suspects, right? The whole time you think it's either the dean, the homosexual professor, or the janitor. Yeah, and it really doesn't push it much further than that. Well, like another thing too is. Um... Uh, watching on the extras, the interview, I think it was from that interview with Paul Smith, he talks about they would film this and, like, all these different actors had different backgrounds. And, like, I think maybe the way everybody acts so weird towards each other is because, like, basically they said that, like, on these movies, like, everybody just spoke their own language and then it got dubbed later. That was common, though. Like, a lot of Westerns and stuff do that and it doesn't seem like it's being performed by crazy people. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just wondering, like, you walk in the room speaking English, the guy replies in Spanish or Italian or whatever his nationality is, like, I mean, how would you really, like, get a chemistry going on there with your characters, you know? I think also the editing plays a strange role in this film, too. (laughs) What doesn't? I mean, what element is, like, the, the element that hits, you know? No, like, let, let's get into it. I mean, this would be a movie perfect for, like, a remake or, like, a redo or whatever. Or, like, but I almost think, like, instead of kind of remaking pieces just to slap the name out there, like, it would be a little, probably a little more artistic merit into just remaking the style of pieces where everybody... Yeah, I actually alien. don't think... I actually think of any movie you and I have done, Coat, this would be the one I'd be least interested to see remade because it's not like it's a fantastic story or anything. Everything that people love about pieces comes from the filmmaking. Right. And I just don't think you'd be able to capture that again. But you could definitely try and make a film that's like an homage to the bizarre choices they made and stuff. And uh, And here we have the great Paul Smith as Willard, the janitor. Yeah. Who, who, I mean, he was in like a lot of great movies like Midnight Express and shit. But uh, mostly known for his physicality. He did a lot of overseas. He he did like a lot of like Hong Kong movies and shit where he's just fighting people and shit because he's giant and big. But, I feel like he's probably most known for Popeye, right? Right, yeah. He played, uh, what is it, Bluto? Yep. Mm-hmm. Unless you're me, and then he's most known for Sam Raimi's Crime Wave, a film which yeah. only I like. <laughs> even like even Raimi and the Coens have disowned it. But I think he's I think he's great in that, too. He's really funny in that. 
and I really love his performance in this. It's just so strange. So he's always got that like one eye kind of squinting. I mean, I guess that's kind of his trademark anyways, but he's just overly suspicious about everything at every second. Yeah, and like he look, he's getting ready to chainsaw some shit. And he looks in the bushes next door, and there's some people fucking for no reason. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't pay off. There's no reason for. <laughs> I, I love how he, he he couldn't get that last piece in. Yeah, um, <laughs> he, the, the, he's wearing them fucking almost, gloves, don't he? <laughs> almost every scene in this movie is for no reason. Yeah, this is a great for no reason scene here. And, like, uh, this is where we're introduced to the, the, the male lead. But, like, you know, like, not just going this completely cold, not really know much about this movie other than it's gory or whatever. They showed this character, uh, this guy that kind of looks like Horshack from Welcome Back, Carter. He's got glasses Kendall. on. Yeah. yeah, Kendall. I thought he was going to be the nerd of the movie. But no, man, this it, is like this is like young Tom Atkins and Chuck Bronson rolled yeah, into one. Th- yeah, this guy, he's even <laughs> studlier than them. He turns out to be the stud. Of the movie. Especially when, back in the 80s, a horror film, like anybody who, like, you know, the cast of teen characters or whatever uh, had curly hair, they was always the nerd of the movie that got killed, like, early. Well, it's funny, too, because, like, I, you wonder, I, so that's the thing, is are they trying to be witty and, like, subvert that? Yeah. I don't know if, they're, they, if it seems like they're that smart, right? But just yeah. like a moment ago, they showed him try to throw like a little piece of paper in a waste bin, and he missed. So it's like he seems like a dweeb. But then, yeah, every girl at the school wants him. Uh, there's a scene later where girls like begging him to come back to bed. Yeah. Uh, the I mean, police he's... just like the police like deputize him <laughs> instantly. I mean, I don't know what it is about this guy. Yeah, he sleeps with like four different girls throughout the movie, <laughs> and they're all go. Like, uh, they already like, they already showed this. this guy <laughs> don't worry walk. about it. Yeah. <laughs> No, I thought this was weird because now we're following the girl from the library who wanted the nerdy guy Kendall to come have sex with her in the school pool. But like when you see this, this pool is like was it just me or this like it looks like a like um like a spa setting or something. It doesn't look like an Olympic pool or exercise pool that you would find this on is a like someone's campus. house. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> some rich guy's mansion pool or some shit. Goat, having just seen this movie like recently, what? <laughs> What what were you thinking the whole time you were watching this? For the well, first you know what? Time? Like a lot of times, you watch these fucking things and they've been talked about and they're legendary and whatever. And uh, you know they're usually very um, stale and you know you're just kind of sitting there, kind of you know counting the minutes until somebody gets killed. And I gotta say, this movie, especially you know everything we've been talking about the first twenty minutes over here, this movie had me so off guard. It was like I didn't know what I was thoroughly entertained and I had no idea what was coming next. Like to me. Like, this really, like, I felt like I was more watching, like, a live-action cartoon than I was a <laughs> horror movie, I'll be honest with you. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confused were you? <sighs> I'd Probably, like, a 7, I'd say, <laughs> you know, up until this point in the movie. I mean, I knew this movie wasn't going to be rocket science or anything. I love, I love how she takes her top off. Or not her top, but her, yeah, her bikini top off. And instead of, like, throwing it with her other clothes, she throws it in a pool. So I guess it will fucking sink down and get lost. Like, what was she thinking? <laughs> There's, like, the shadow is, like, crawling around on the outside there. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what pool sluts like to swim in? <laughs> the shadow knows. <laughs> and you, you gotta give them credit, though, like... You know, these these other killers in movies at this time, they're real persistent and they're working hard. This guy just comes to the fucking pool with the pool net that you get the leaves out of the pool with. And he's going to use this to, 
fucking... <laughs> How has she not seen him? Well, even if you do see him, like, he puts the, the pool net over her head. Can't you she can just, just duck go... down into the water, right? Yeah, go down in the water. Like, why are you so stupid? <laughs> and, then, and then the best part is, like, he pulls her up. And I get, like, she's kind of choking, so she's going to need a little bit of a second to, like, catch her breath or whatever. But he pulls her up out of the water and then, like, kind of lays her down. It's like she poses for her murder. <laughs> Did you notice that? <laughs> she, like, sexually poses for her murder. It's bizarre. And I thought it was supposed to be that she was knocked out, but she just moved her head, so it's like... Especially when... And, and she, and yeah, now she's moving more. Yeah, here she is doing the, the, the like, Sports Illustrated. She's more, like, sexually aroused than she is, like, coming back from blacking out. <laughs> like, look, she just sits here and waits, like... And then he comes up and he, he fucking chainsaws her here, uh, right here uh, next to the pool. But the thing is, is like you could have just rolled back into the pool. <laughs> he cannot get you. Like, okay, if a killer has a knife or a machete, he can jump in the pool and stab you in there. You can't operate a fucking chainsaw in water. <laughs> I love this character too. Kendall's like even nerdier friend. Yeah. Who just like asks that girl out? She gives him a look, and he just like goes in that tone, like, "Well, I guess you okay? I guess you're a bitch then." Kind of. <laughs> yeah, this, like this is like nerd university because <laughs> if Kendall's the stud, and then this guy's like the actual nerd of the movie. It's like holy shit, like. But but yeah, I feel like this nerdy guy, his friend. I feel like he's probably asked out every woman on the college campus so far. He's such a he's such a fascinating character. He gives Kendall a note, and Kendall looks at it and says, "Like, oh man." And the guy says, "Like, oh, don't tell me I'm the bearer of bad news. I could just kill myself." It's like, what's yeah. just like, <laughs> calm down, buddy. <laughs> I feel like some of these lines, like, because they redubbed the movie later. Like, I know, like Paul Smith didn't even get to dub his lines, but um, like they redubbed the movie, the language in later. Um, I feel like some of these, like, they just forgot what the what the real person said. You know what I mean? And then, like, they just dubbed in some nonsense that didn't even fucking add up. And now here we see the uh, the killer. He's got his bloody sack. So he's actually taking some of the body parts uh, that he cuts <laughs> off with the chainsaw. The, the pieces is a yeah, very witty double entendre, if you will. <laughs> Pieces of the jigsaw, pieces of the body. So real quick, while we're watching this guy masturbate in this uh, freezer locker with these body parts, what's your guys... We've established, I've just recently seen this uh, from getting the Blu-ray. What's your guys' history with this film? Um, well, I, going back to... I, I think we talked about this on uh, the Chopping Mall episode. Um but like uh, in high school, when I was just renting every like cult and weirdo movie I could find, this was this like Chopping Mall. This was one of them, and uh, this was one of a handful uh, that I rented <laughs> maybe like once a year because I got such a kick out of it. Um, so it's a movie I've seen quite a bit actually. You, you just rented it at the same store until the store closed down. Pretty much. <laughs> That was a great scene there where um, Paul Smith sees the body, and literally three seconds before Kendall ran out of the of the pool area, I guess to alert the cops, and the cops were somehow waiting for him. The cops run in to fight Paul Smith, and Kendall runs in with the two by four, 
Now, how the fuck did this happen? How did he go summon the cops within two seconds? How did he even know his girlfriend was dead by this point in time? And like, why would the like why would the cops go in to apprehend somebody and let a fucking college kid go with well, them? With not the that, but like, why does why does Paul Smith like instantly attack the cops as they walk in? Too, he yeah. like instantly throws like shoulder, and it's like, man, like Kendall at that point looks like just as much of a suspect as he does to me because they were both in there. Well, yeah, and that's what I thought like, they were going for when that moment yeah. when Kendall was there, and he's like even hiding very shadily behind a thing, and then he sees Paul Smith. Like, I thought it was going to be these two guys see each other and they both think each other's the killer, you know. Yeah. Uh, my my history with the film is actually uh, I was introduced to it by Bird, but I mean I'd heard of it and it was one of those films I always wanted to see, and had never got around to. And then when I started hanging out with Bird like years ago, you know, he was just like, "What? You haven't seen Pieces?" And he owned one of those like crap, you know, VHS rip DVD DVDs and showed it to me, and I was just instantly in love with it. And, uh, and I. I, I, I I think, I think Bird was kind of flabbergasted by how much I liked it. And I think even with Trev, like me and him have watched this movie together multiple times, too. Yeah, we like to show it to new people. And yeah, it is a great like litmus test when you make new friends to, to show them pieces. And <laughs> feel about it. Well, I feel like it's a fun romp for everyone because it's 85 minutes. You're not going to get bored. I mean, no matter how yeah, nonsensical only- it is, it don't drag, you know? And the only thing I haven't really encountered, experienced yet with this is I'd still love to see this in a theater with an audience. Yeah. And okay, here they bring in the uh, the professor guy who always gets sexually harassed by his students to like look at the body. Like, why did they really summon him down there? Like, I don't really get that. <laughs> it's really weird because like the 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 police and the police force in this film are just so strange in that they have a tennis expert that works for them. Yeah, they have they deputize a student. Yeah, they ask a professor on the university to basically be their medical examiner. Yeah, I mean, what is going on in the city? Like, they, are they the only two uh, detectives that are left after some kind of holocaust or something? Like, what's going on? Well, not only that, like, you don't want to let too many people in, like, a a crime scene because things could get tampered with. You don't want to let too many people have knowledge of a case because it could, you know interfere with your investigation but yeah they're like the laziest cops man they're just looking for regular citizens to do all their fucking police work for them those wacky boston police boston pd (laughs) now when you guys watched it did you ever think the the super nerd there you ever think that guy could be a red herring because i never really did no no i mean you know it's got to be someone old since they were a kid 40 years ago yeah but you know what like this movie's so wacky because they pretty much keep you in suspense almost to the end of who the killer was like this movie's so fucking wacky like there was a point in time when i started doubting that the kid at the beginning would even be the killer <laughs> well yeah and i really like the most italian uh kind of giallo thing this film could have done would be to get to the end and actually reveal that like christopher george is the killer you know right. he's been investigating himself or something you know we've seen that multiple times and well, let's talk about Christopher George's, uh, you know, performance in this film. It's not even really like a typical cop performance. It's just like he's like this gentleman caller who goes around and like, he like socializes with people and shit. I mean, did you ever get really the feeling that he was hard on the case? Like, oh no, yeah, he's so leisurely. It's- it's, yeah, it's one of the most casual investigations ever. He's really happy to just let Kendall uh, do all the work for him, really. Yeah. 
And it's just the the way they theorize the cops in this movie. And he's even like he's still he's dressing more like the villain in like a right. you know a seventy or eighties a seventies or eighties TV show. Like I love that not only has the the Kendall character like you know able to be part of these police operations, but his nerdy friend is allowed to just stand there. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like. There's- <laughs> Cause, cause you, you know how like um, police keep obviously they keep everything secret, and then like they bust people later, and then and they're like, well, he's he's the guy because he had details that we never released, and he knew things only the killer would know. Well, fuck, the whole town knows everything about the killings in this movie. Like they're just sharing information left and right. Yeah, like when I watched this the first time, I was even like, like okay, I, I get that Kindle. Like, at this point in the movie, I was like, okay, I get the Kendall Horshack here. Uh, his girlfriend got killed, so he's a suspect and all that. And uh, But, like, I never thought he was going to become the main character. I thought this was going to be Christopher George going around this uh, college campus trying to find the killer. But but he, he, Christopher George, even though he's a seasoned police detective, he's just like, no, nah, we need a college kid to break the case. Because he knows everything about that school. Like, they, they talk about this college campus, like... Like, it's, like, alien, unexplored territory, and you need somebody, like, who's a guy and <laughs> knows it. Well, I, I mean, I, I go, and I'm sure you would agree that the reason the Kendall character is even in this film, probably, is this really is a, it's a, it's a movie that's um, a merger of two worlds in filmmaking at that time, in that, like we said, they were clearly influenced by Giallos, which usually did have kind of older heroes, mm. you know, like Franco Nero's, or, uh, like, Christopher George would headline one, you know? Um, but also, it's obviously trading in in the in the just now emerging and booming slasher genre, right? So they have one foot in that pool, but they're like, oh, we need like young teen and college heroes too, you know? So they're like, well, let's just do the best of both worlds and have Kendall and the old detective, and they and do we'll th- get a double the audience, I'm sure. Yeah, and then, like I guess they didn't know the formula, or they just didn't give a shit. But like, it's really interesting in that like all the college, like whatever you know victims like it's not a group of people even though there was a group of people like kids at the beginning that we saw like it's really just random students here and there you know what i mean mm-hmm. but now we know we're in an A's film yeah because there's a aerobics type ballet <laughs> fusion class going on it's interesting like how like i know i've watched a lot of 80s movies when i think about how many times i've watched a movie that suddenly stops for an aerobic dance sequence yeah like it's shockingly calm, and this is this kind of if you're watching the U.S. version with the U.S. score, that's where you get that great little like almost disco electronics on the dee 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 dee. <laughs> and I don't think this scene goes anywhere either, does it? Well, he eventually kills one of these girls yeah, when they wander off, <clears throat> and like this, like all this location like never reads ever as a college university. I mean, like, we had dance studios, like, at my school, but, I mean, it was within the context of a official building. Like, when they start, like, uh, in a second here, this dancer chick, like, walks to go to the bathroom, like, I mean, it just, they could be anywhere. They're, they're like, going down to the boiler room <laughs> shit almost to use the bathroom. Like, <laughs> this is the most non-collegiate-looking building ever. And especially Boston. A Boston college, you think, would have, like, really traditional buildings and shit at their schools am i the only person that's seen police academy six city under siege seen it but a million years ago <laughs> do you remember the villain in that was actually like a lot like what we just saw of the villain here yeah, where he's, he's like just, a trench coat uh, man right yeah a trench coat and a tie and a fedora and he's always mm-hmm. behind a screen talking to the his henchmen yeah that's, a lot of these shots remind me of that today 
You could do a super cut with pieces in <laughs> Police Academy 16 City Under Siege. The last theatrically released Police Academy. I know because I saw it in theater. That's right. It's very, very, very sad. <laughs> She's going through, she really is going through like a maze to get to Yeah, get it's to like a maze and it's so narrow. Like there's no way, you know, classes could let out and accommodate people walking back and forth. I mean, it's just... Just, I mean, it's right there. Two girls couldn't walk down that same hallway at the same time. This is where uh, Christopher George really starts getting the hard sell here, where he has to convince, uh, you know, that this kid that he's the real detective here. <laughs> here we have former uh, police commissioner, not police commissioner, but a former baseball commissioner, uh, Bart Giamatti, Paul Giamatti's dad, playing this role. What do you what do you guys think about Christopher George's always in his mouth but never lit cigar? <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice little it's a nice character touch, right? Yeah. Christopher George is one of those guys, right, of just of that time period where I feel like we don't have actors like that anymore. Yeah. Um, actually, if if you go look him up, uh, like read his story on Wikipedia, he's got like this kind of amazing life story um, where he was in the military, fought in the Korean War, he went on to work as a private investigator and a bartender in a Miami bar. He has a he held black belts in karate and judo. He was a bouncer in tough restaurants and he had a pilot's license. It's like, dude, this guy was a badass, you know, and and then he becomes this kind of grizzled old character actor, you know, late in life. And uh, I just think that's awesome. I miss guys like that. Yeah, the film industry doesn't really allow that. Here he is with his wife, who's a Tim yeah, his Tech. real life wife. Yeah. His, yeah, his real life wife, who in this movie she's playing a famous tennis player. Keep in mind, tennis players uh, usually retire around 26. This woman's clearly in her mid-40s. But um, <laughs> she's so bored with tennis, apparently. This is the way I read the story. Correct me if I'm wrong. She's so bored with tennis <laughs> that she wants to go undercover for the police to help <laughs> catch this killer. Is, that's what's yeah, going on, right? I'm pretty sure, and they're and they're all about it because uh, they've, they've already got her working on like a desk job or something, right? Yeah. And now they they allow her to go undercover at the school because uh, yeah, Kendall instantly recognizes her. And but but correct me if I'm wrong though, she's not she's not, she does she's not like she works with the police, but she's not really a police officer per se. No, I don't think so. I think she's yeah. just like I think she is a tennis pro, yeah. and I think they they use her like for cases like this. It's <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> Christopher George has a. Has an army of cab drivers, hot dog vendors, <laughs> and street sweepers taking care of all the crime in the city. He'll recruit anybody. You could almost make an argument that you could read this film to where, like, Christopher George is actually Kendall's father and just doesn't want to tell him. Right. Because he, like, is just so instantly <laughs> taken with him, right? And then the second Kendall leaves here, the first thing Christopher George says to the tennis pro is, ah, he's a good kid. You're really going to like him. It's like, why are, you so, why are you so interested in this kid? He doesn't know him, really. So we're just talking about Christopher George and his ascent into stardom at a later age. He has age. a real uh, Willem Dafoe-ness to him. But, like, that hair, man, that Christopher George hair, man, like, I swear, like, he, like it seemed like they were probably hairspraying that hair and laying it down perfectly in between every take, man. Like, the man's hair does not move whatsoever. You know, he unfortunately died of a heart attack just like a year after this film, and I wonder yeah. if that's the only reason we don't have pieces two and three and four, you know? It could be. Now, here's another woman that, doesn't she wander off the street to want to know what's going on at the university, and he recruits her, too, <laughs> to help, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So if this happened around us, we you think we could just like talk to him and he'd let us do whatever we want? Yeah, if Christopher George is like the detective in our cities, we could all be like running around catching killers and. What's awesome is this lady comes in and she says, I hear rumors, you know, uh, that there's a maniac running loose killing people at the university. And Christopher George, like, plays it off and he goes, there are rumors at that university every couple of months. Rumors of, like, a murder spree every couple of months? This is so fucking insane. (laughs) No, this is, I mean, we've established earlier that this movie has no idea what it's doing. Yeah. Now here we see the amazing skills of this world-famous tennis pro, you know. Just flailing a racket. I love these people watching the tennis match. Yeah, like, I like the whole, their heads are going gathered. back and forth like it's a cartoon or something. Yeah, and like, she's a tennis pro, and then they have her uh, play against a girl who's like never played tennis before, apparently. And everybody's <laughs> clapping and shit. But her undercover, like, whatever, identity was that she was going to be the new tennis coach, right, of the school? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So which is she a she, real which, tennis pro? I just, yeah, I just... no, she is, because Kendall recognizes her and says, yeah. I watch all your matches on TV. So this would be like if you were at a school and they hired, like, Serena Williams to come in and be the new tennis coach. But right. actually, Serena Williams is there to catch the serial killer that's on campus. <laughs> <laughs> Makes no sense. Yeah, it's 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 very bizarre. It's almost like Scooby Dooish in a way. And why do they kiss after the match? Is that standard tennis? Yeah, that, that, in Boston. In yeah, Boston, that, that clearly gives it away that this was filmed, you know, overseas where everybody kiss each other on the cheek and not in Boston. You know what I mean? I tell you what, it's pretty amazing too that this is actually a university that has like sirens and shit that play announcements and stuff, <laughs> and that music too. Like, yeah, kind of like the march music. Yeah, I like the Kendall is just such like a you know like a hound dog too that he's probably slept with every girl on campus, but the the minute he met her, right, he's just yeah. he set his sights on this tennis pro and he's like, I'm gonna get that too. Yeah, but he, but he doesn't. She's like his white whale now, you know. Yeah, but he still doesn't stop sleeping with other girls. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would be a challenge. You know, he's like, you bang all these uh, college gutter skanks who will bang anything that moves. You got to set your sights on a famous forty-three-year-old uh, woman. And it's really weird too, because like maybe it's just her features, how she naturally looks, but like. This whole movie, I constantly felt like she was trying to uh, dress like a little girl or something. <laughs> here we have another great scene with the uh, the Dean. Dean Worms are here, whatever his name is. And uh, he's acting very hinky. Okay, here's that other woman that wandered in the police station and got recruited into... Being part yeah. of the investigation, <laughs> the movie really doesn't like stop to give her like a story at all. Right? No. We don't know what, who she is, why she's here. Mm-hmm. She just... they're, they're talking. Uh, they're talking about Willard, who last we saw uh, was fighting police officers. Yeah, yeah, they had, yeah, they had to release him now because they don't have enough evidence. No, I mean, I feel like assaulting the police as they come in would keep you locked up for a little bit. Yeah, what at least do I... thirty days in county jail or something. But these these police they they're rough and tumble. They could take an ass whooping and not press charges. 
Well, they probably have like, like you said, they probably have like uh, retail clerks running the jail. Like the, <laughs> you know, Christopher George's tailor is probably the main prison guard. They recruit high school kids who work in ice cream shops to come run run the penal system in Boston. He's really taking his time with this puzzle. I know, and like I, re- I'll be honest with you, like obviously he puts the puzzle together, which is the image of a woman, so he's putting a woman together. And then he's doing the killings together, the body parts, you know. And uh, I gotta say, like, I never really, like, correlated exactly the puzzle putting together with the uh, the body part taken, like, in terms of, like... Well, no, why would you? The movie doesn't tell you that until, like, the last ten seconds. Well, not only that, but, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, not only that, but it's kind of, like... He's just putting, like, random pieces of the puzzle. Like, I could understand if, if we saw him putting, like, just the right arm... And then he was collecting he's, the right arm. He's, he's really <laughs> struggling with this one. Oh, he, he is furious with this one. <laughs> and I kind of don't really understand why, why, like, with the puzzle scenes, like, he's wearing the gloves, which obviously make it hard to put the puzzle together. Because, like, you know, obviously, well, we're, we, you know, the directors probably think we're having him wear the gloves to protect his identity. But everybody in this movie is a 55-year-old white man. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's not like it really matters, you know what I mean? All right, I'm going, to, I'm going to put you guys to the test there. Which movie you like better, Maniac or Pieces? Oh, I definitely like Pieces more. Yeah, yeah I like I Pieces see. more. Yeah, I do too. Maniac but, is a better movie. <laughs> yeah. But, but everybody nothing, jerks off on Maniac so hard. Well, I actually, actually prefer the, the remake, too. Yeah, that's, I do yeah. too. I was just about to say that. Uh, I, I, own, I own both the original and the remake on Blu-ray, but I prefer the remake. I own the remake, but I've never watched it. I've, I've oh, it's re- great. Yeah, I've rented the original, but I don't. I think like Maniac really. I mean, Maniac's not really a, a great film, but I mean that Joe Spinell performance is what you know pulls you well, through. Th- that and um, the Savini effects, right? Yeah. See, I thought the Savini effects were kind of na- like, I don't know, like too low budget. Yeah, for Maniac. the Savini shit. effects honestly didn't hold up as well no. last time I watched it. Uh, well, they have like they do have like kind of a gritty grindhouse charm to them though, still, but they're yeah. not as best of work. Yeah. Like it just—I mean, just compared compared to like Friday the Thirteenth, and right. you know, yeah, it's just like he just didn't have the budget to do them right or something. There was some movie was it Mother's Day that claimed to have Savini effects or the kid some kind of bullshit credit like effects consultant, but he really didn't have anything to do with the effects. Um, I know what you're talking. It's not Mother's Day, but I I know what you're talking about. Um, it's some really obscure thing. Yeah. It's a movie that I don't even know if it's on DVD or anything. Yeah. Forget what it's called. I know what you mean. Oh, Tom Savini. I love I love that Tom Savini is now acting on the From Dust Till Dawn TV show, but he does not play his character from the movies. <laughs> so I feel like Tom Savini will act in anything. Oh, he will. He will. I'm surprised he's not doing the... Uh, the... Uh, non-sexual roles in all these Hollywood blockbuster, mockbuster porno remakes that they do all the time. 
I think it's a shame that, and it's, I'm not going to tell him his business and tell him what to do, and I'm sure he has his reasons, but I think it's a shame that he hasn't done effects for a movie in a long time. I mean, I know he runs the school and he trains, like, the next yeah. generation, but I'm surprised he hasn't come back to have, you know, like, one of those high-profile, like, oh, the first Tom Savini effects in a film in, you know, 10 or so years. And yeah. surprised we haven't had something like that. Well, it's weird with, with movies. He actually does think of himself as, like, an actor. Like, yeah, I've heard of him say, now. like, you know... When I make movies, like I focus on my acting. Like he's like, uh, like he thinks he's like a real actor. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All he wants to do is train the next generation of unemployed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's the thing. Is like, what, there's like, no you're training them, but great unless they get a job at K and B, then yeah. it doesn't really matter. You know? And even K and B like doesn't nearly. I don't see their name on as much shit as I used to. It's all CGI. Let's get that CGI going. Now, could you remake pieces with all CGI gore? <laughs> Do you think that would work? Well, you could, but I, who would watch it? <laughs> I feel like it, like it kind of. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I actually like his movies. I haven't seen Rob Zombie's new movie, but I like his movies. But it really kind of like put a damper on it when he started using CGI blood squibs and shit. I was like, really, Rob Zombie's going to use CGI shit? Yeah, I mean, like that's everyone, I, that's just everyone. That's how I felt, when, especially with um, Survival of the Dead and some yeah. of the CGI stuff. In oh, there. yeah. Oh, when Romero yeah. started doing it, that was heartbreaking because his movies always had such great effects. And well, it sucks to when someone like Romero does it because because he doesn't care about CGI and he's just doing it for budgetary reasons. Yeah. He doesn't put the time and effort into making sure the shot works with the CGI, so it looks even worse, you know? Well, I think he just didn't have the money to do good CGI, where Rob Zombie, like, Devil's Rejects actually had a good budget, you know? This is probably, this is a, another good, like, really brutal murder, yeah. though, effects-wise. Like, the arm getting chopped off was pretty great, and then we have a moment coming up where he cuts her midsection, and uh, I know they said they just actually used a pig and, like, right. cut a pig, but it, it looks great in the moment. Well, we totally, we totally kind of missed it. we got to explain to the listeners that he actually snuck into the elevator with the woman holding the chainsaw behind his back somehow. <laughs> she couldn't yeah, see it. Yeah, I think I've always, I always took it more like it was in his trench coat, and he, like, pulled it out, and she, like, didn't notice it at first. But it's like, once you, he got in and turned around because the saw blade was sticking out the back, like, wouldn't she know exactly what was up? It's like people are so afraid of the chainsaw that they get frozen for a good 30 to 35 seconds, giving him ample time to chop them up. But the effects are great in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of shit that happens off screen, and there's some shit that happens on screen. Like, the arm coming off is awesome. Now you see the, the, the torso, the body, whatever. But, like, yeah, I mean, it, it is good for, you know, how relatively cheap the rest of the movie is. Yeah. Here's Kendall telling the police how to do their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he actually I directs will, like Kendall the patrol has, officers. Kendall has declared martial law at this point. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will we've say been, like we've um, declared Kendall law all over this university. <laughs> uh, I mean, I will say like uh, what we were talking about with CGI gore. That just makes me appreciate movies like um, the Evil Dead remake, and even though I didn't like it, but um, like Green Inferno using uh, a lot of practical effects. It's so easy now not to do it, and I know why they don't because. You know, it's a pain in the ass to reset and do retakes on gore effects, but, I mean, the final product always looks better. Yeah, like, I just, I don't know, like, because there, there, there's only been a couple movies that had good CGI blood splatters. Like, there's certain ones, like, shockingly, because it's a cheap-ass movie, but House of the Dead actually used a bunch of CGI splatters that I didn't even know were CGI splatters for a long time. 
but like like I even have a program on my computer where like like you can buy these things where like they actually film real squibs going off and then lay it in and like why they don't do that more I don't understand instead of like using the actual CGI blood because when you use the the green screen footage of the real squibs going off like it's a little tricky to lay it it has to be laid in the right way and blowing off in the right direction all that but like like it actually looks like something real tangible it doesn't have that shiny CGI look so I don't understand why the like the big you know professional CGI companies don't do that you know what I mean Now, do you guys feel like the movie just basically gave away that it is the Dean in that moment right there? Because he was walking around? or Yeah, because like they say, they ask the one professor, like, where did you just come from? And I, mean, I need to talk to you later. And then we see the Dean coming from the other end of the hall, and he looks kind of like straightening his suit and everything. And Yeah, like, I, I, I actually really thought that they were... Uh... Ah, but see, now we see that Willard is also there. So the thing that is clever about this scene is that all three of our suspects enter and like it's like they've been hang- they've all been hanging around yeah i really thought this scene was really like trying to set up the professor but um and it was actually that scene like how you said they all kind of come around the corner and they're all there like mm. this shot here like this really gave me <laughs> this really gave me flashbacks to clue the best was that willard was there yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they suspected him. Now they're you know. Now this girl is so pathetic that Kendall's having sex with, ain't she? She's so neat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He does say there you're in bed with Chainsaw Charlie, which I wonder if Vince McMahon is a huge Pieces fan, and that's what led to he could Kendall named Terry Funk eventually. Kendall's doing some full frontal here. Yeah, we get to uh, yeah, we got Kendall uh, hanging Kendall dog. Dong. Yeah. Which I like. I guess that's why they they wanted to show the you know the head explain like how is this nerd banging all these girls like oh he has a big dong okay this girl right here is ridiculous where she says like you know come back to bed you can even gag me if you want so I won't yeah. make because <laughs> she keeps screaming and he's afraid she's, she's going to be <laughs> look at that uh, for a murder victim did you see the convenient flower placement a moment ago yeah I love the plant covering the dong <laughs> even though we just saw the dong for like a good ten seconds. Uh, now, here comes one of the greatest scenes in, I'd say, cinema history, not just in Oh, I'll agree with that for sure. Suddenly, there is a Asian gentleman <laughs> wearing a, uh, like, a running, tr- like, a track suit, who, because uh, uh, Linda Day here, the tennis pro, is patrolling at night looking for the killer. This uh, Asian gentleman jumps out, starts whipping her ass with some kung fu out of nowhere. Again, that's it's just a pure like. Well, what was popular at the box office right now? Oh, people like these Bruce Lee films and everything. We'll just yeah. we'll throw that in just to kind of get that market, so we can throw that scene in the trailer. I'm sure you know. Because they really build this up. They do do a good job of building this up suspensively that you think the killer is going to come out or something. I really do. I'm sure you do too, Goat. I, I really do just like miss the days of these kind of exploitation films, though, that were yeah. built on. Let's rip off everything that's popular right now and, and make a film that's mostly like where we can build an interesting trailer. And and sometimes the trailers were better than the movie, actually a lot of times. But yeah. still, I just miss the feel of those like so much. Oh, I, I, I mean, they don't even make movies like this in, anymore, period. I mean, this go this goes back to what we were talking about when we were watching uh, Chopping Mall. You know, everything's um, on the sci-fi channel or it's mm-hmm. some bullshit someone made in their backyard. You know, they don't. Yeah, they really don't make stuff like this. Yeah, here comes the awesome kung fu. Um, yeah, I miss the showmanship of that, of creating a trailer. 
now you don't now there's no reason because nobody watches trailers and then your mm. film isn't going to play anywhere so like what's the point it's just going to be a tiny tile on netflix and you'll receive fifty dollars for <laughs> making it also used to be that the trailers were uh like the directors and stuff would like help make them now they're yeah. just sent to companies yeah. to, to throw them together and now in a great trend now the movies are sent to trailer companies to re-edit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so here, and then it, it 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 turns out here that this guy is a teacher at the school. Yeah, he's yeah, Kendall's I, kung fu professor. Yeah, so <laughs> the kung fu professor is randomly attacking women. I mean, he was he like it wasn't like he jumped out and threw a kick at her face to scare her. He really beat the shit out of her. He punched her. He kicked her. Finally, she then, he bla- he, then he blames his behavior on bad chop suey that he yeah. ate. Yeah, but we also like he kicks her ass for a couple seconds, but then she just takes him down with like one kick to the nuts. It's like, yeah, what a great kung fu professor. But I, I also know. like that he's just like, yeah, I'm sorry, bad chop suey, and then he leaves the film, never to be seen again. Ne- never, you'll never see this motherfucker <laughs> ever. You can watch this movie a hundred more times, you won't even see him in the background eating a donut. Nowhere. Do universities have kung fu professors? <laughs> I think this one they does. do. I, th- I think this one does. And that scene was also the inspiration for the uh, pancake girl in Cabin Fever. Pancake uh, young man, you mean? Yeah, young oh, man. Oh, yeah. I, why do I... Well, he, the damn kid looks like a girl, okay? Yeah. But uh, that's interesting. I would never have pieced that together. Was that a pun? No, it wasn't. I wish I was that smart. Now, here we have, you know, the misdirect with Linda Day walking around. Also, that other woman that was recruited into the police force to help find the killer. She's also wandering around the school late at night. And obviously, the killer's going to get her. Why didn't Christopher George recruit the Kung Fu professor to help him get the killer instead of hiring a tennis pro to do it? Yeah, you think a guy who actually can defend himself and knows kung fu would be a little. <laughs> but then more again, she quick. did beat him in a fight, so that I guess is maybe true. He was doing. Maybe Dennis George, or sorry, Christopher George. Maybe he has um, like uh, like Mortal Kombat style tournaments with the citizens <laughs> of the uh, of the town, and they have to fight to see who's going to be able to volunteer for the police force. Now, did you guys ever um, think that maybe the killer, you know, should have switched, like, had multiple chainsaws, the kind of way they did in TCM2, how Dennis Hopper had all those different chainsaws? Because, I mean, this this full-size one, it seems like it would be really hard to lug around and uh, sneak into yeah. a lot of areas the way he does. See, here's another area. This is the uh, recreation slash gym area or whatever that that slutty girl was talking about at the beginning of the movie that has a waterbed in and out. But, I mean, just look at, like, look at this and explain to me what this is. This just looks like some rooms in a looks mansion. Looks like a bar. Yeah, like, it's just weird. <laughs> like, it doesn't look like any any school, like, anybody's ever been to. I was just was thinking... any of this movie shot anywhere near a real school? That's what I was trying to find out, but, yeah. It was like, shot in Valencia, Spain, but I don't know, like, what their locations actually yeah. were. I was just a thinking bar, that... some uh, guy's house. Or as many, um... For as many Jason, Freddy, Leatherface, Michael Myers, like, action figures I've seen, I'm surprised no company has made, like, the pieces killer, you know, with the, the yellow chainsaw and the trench coat and the fedora. Well, you think the licensing rights would be very cheap to attain. 
They should get SciShow Collectibles should do like a limited run two hundred and fifty dollar twelve inch doll piece of skill. <laughs> yeah, but you got and they have a two pack with Kendall in there too. Well, Kendall with anatomically correct hanging dong. <laughs> With action cardigan sweater. Yeah. Trev, I do think we should revisit a conversation we've had a few times about just how much of a pain in the ass waterbeds are. And waterbeds are terrible. Yeah. Uh, it seems like they're, they're really out of fashion now anyways. I think everyone kind of got over it. But there was definitely this period of like the 80s and 90s where people thought waterbeds were great. And uh, they're actually a piece of shit. I mean, for, like, they're bad for you know, your you back. To, bad for your back. You sit down. You When you lay in them, it takes you like 10 minutes to get out of bed because you got to work your way over to the edge and you know it's kind of and you're, con- you're constantly moving uh, yeah. like my friend one of my close friends in high school had a waterbed and anytime i sat down on it i i was just i was moving all the time and like that said no this, need for that. this is the sequence i was talking about earlier of course i yeah. mean this the nothing most- benefits from blu-ray more than this you know yeah. this is actually beautiful i mean you know beautiful in the way a horrible murder can be in these films but yeah for people who haven't seen it he starts he throws this woman down on the waterbed starts stabbing her with a large knife Obviously, some of the, um, I mean, stabbing her pretty good, but obviously she's moving around, so he's also stabbing the waterbed. So you, get, you she's basically like rolling around in this pool of half blood, half water, and it's in slow motion, and it's great. This is definitely the closest uh, thing this movie has to an iconic scene. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, well, except you, for I the think, very end. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I think it's the Arrow Blu-ray has a really cool cover of, this scene drawn by Jeff Zornow, and it's just like the waterbed kill, and there's a bunch of bloody body parts everywhere. Now, here's where, like, Kendall really thinks he's going to, like, get into Linda Day's pants, too. I thought he was. When I watched this there night, I thought he was. Like, he try, he takes her back to her dorm room, a 43-year-old woman staying in a dorm room. Uh, he tries, like, don't you have any coffee? Like, that's his pickup line. <laughs> don't you have any coffee? Like, he's so entitled. Like, I almost thought it was, you could even read that this is a possible date rate type situation. Oh, yeah, that. he's like Brock, he's Brock Turner waiting to happen. Yeah. And the, Maybe yeah. that's why, maybe that's how we're supposed to read the ending of, like, that thing is doing the world a favor, right? Well, I guess we'll get to that. Like, yeah. And here, right, we, here we have a rotten eye zombie pops out of nowhere. Oh, it's yeah. just the nerd wearing a mask. That always happened was, <laughs> Nerds would just lurk everywhere. In Wearing 80s. like a punk rock, like yeah. Like, what was that like? He- heavy metal jacket, <laughs> Sex <laughs> Pistols, denim jacket, <laughs> Johnny Rod. And he was jacket. and he was only there to like make fun of Kendall for not getting in her pants. Yeah. He just like they turn around and he says like, "Oh, Casanova," and then walks away. And it's like, what? Again, you're like, what the hell is happening in this film? Yeah, he he make he, okay. He makes fun of a guy who okay. The guy he's making fun of is very nerdy in his own right, but he makes fun of a guy who's banging like literally every girl in college. Okay, he couldn't bang this one forty-three-year-old woman. Whatever. Now that guy's going to go back to his dorm room and fuck a jar of Vaseline, like <laughs> 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 this is the shittiest bully, you know, mocking thing I've ever seen. Now we saw the killer. He had that lady hanging up on a meat hook, but she wasn't chopped up yet like the other ones. So I don't really know kind of how that fits with what happens later. With the pieces. Another great tennis scene here. Girl lobbing balls the first time she's ever touched a fucking tennis racket. (laughs) (laughs) Then the the George Romero-esque stock music, marching band music starts playing (laughs) over the loudspeakers at the school. 
And she really angrily throws some tennis balls and storms off. Like, yeah. yeah, she's like, "That's this marching band music really prevents me from just playing tennis by myself." Yeah, by myself. She's been playing all night. Now this music blaring. Again, going into a brick building with a wood door, something you would never see on any college campus. Now, th- like, this scene, like, this showering scene out of nowhere, like, I felt like they were really, like, even though this is a college slasher, like, I feel like they were really trying to capture the um, Friday the 13th camping genre here with the unnecessary and she showers with like the little curtain open like fuck the world (laughs) i'm showering in here (laughs) obviously here comes the killer again no no lockers just wooden well there is lockers but they're just like wooden doors and shit yeah this looks like like a country club locker room yeah i think they just shot this in like rich people places like mansions country clubs I mean, this Kendall does not give up, man. He would not let this no. this grown woman, old, almost old enough to be his mom, rest for a second. Meanwhile, aren't they supposed to be like? Aren't they supposed to be looking for a serial killer? Yeah. <laughs> Do they have time to just like go tend to play tennis? You know. <laughs> well, like I get her. Like maybe she's got to teach a tennis class to like you know keep her her cover up. But why is she just playing random tennis with him like a date? Man, can you imagine seeing this movie on 42nd Street back in the day? What, oh, what an experience it must have been. Other than how pissy the theater would probably smell. It would be. Well, yeah. Here's an, here's another young woman terrified in fear by a chainsaw. Have you had a chance to watch that documentary, uh, Goat, about 42nd yeah. Street? On yeah, it's great. I actually watched it like the day I got it, the, the movie. Yeah, yeah we watched movie. it and we were just all like, you know, it's... it's the guy was talking about how it's weird that I'm nostalgic for something I never even experienced, but yeah. that ultimate thing of, like, you feel like, oh, of course they all say it was super dangerous to be there, and you were always worried for your life, <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> what, a, what a blast, and everyone wants to, wishes it was that way again, you know? Yeah, th- I mean, this is a pretty awesome horse scene. Now, that chainsaw went through that door right by that girl's head. That's pretty yeah. unsafe by any yeah. measure. And I do oh, like, this is actually the one I was talking about earlier. Actually, where they when when he cuts her stomach, pig. you see, yeah. yeah. And I mean, this movie really goes like the grindhouse nasty way, like even above like a Friday Thirteenth, because like first they have her running through her death scene topless, so like that's a little sleazy right there. Then like that was just over the top. I mean, it's kind of realistic and sells the fear, but it's so gross how she pees herself because mm-hmm, she's so mm-hmm. afraid. And then he just walks in and casually cuts her in half. And then Some blood great sprays in from a spray. Yeah, yeah, from a direction that her body is not at. But hey, <laughs> it, well, it came from it like was, several. Times. Yeah, I was gonna say it was coming from all sides. Like this whole like like it's really hard to like track this whole conversation they have with Willard. Yeah. No, this conversation's crazy. Uh, it makes no sense. Because she's a... asking like we she's asking who can turn off the marching band music. And he's saying he says like that's not my job. You know, it's someone else. Yeah. And she says, well, let's okay, well can we use your phone to call the Dean and see if they're supposed to be testing? And he just gets really mad. Like no one's allowed to use that phone. Yeah. My favorite line is yet to come and I'll be sure. Yeah, oh yeah. But here's like, now he's finally going to let them use the phone. He, he, I guess he makes, he agrees to that. But then in a moment they do, they never show them try to use the phone. Instead, they just cut right to him going to turn the music off, which is exactly what he said he can't do. Yeah. He said, he said electronics <laughs> are someone else's responsibility. And then he goes to take care of the electronics. Mm-hmm. 
And then he, yeah, and then he comes back. I actually really wish Paul Smith was in this movie more, to be honest with you. I'd watch a whole movie about this guy. Have you guys watched on the uh, extras disc his like fifty minute interview where he talks about his entire career? I mean, talk about I, I have. It's interesting. Charming man, yeah, yeah. Definitely gonna check out. I actually have Popeye recorded on my DVR. I think I'll check that out next. <laughs> Wait, this <laughs> this here where he just pulls out some keys and says, "These aren't my keys." Yeah. yeah. What does that have? What what does that have to do with anything? And yeah, what? Nothing, yeah, but then it's also like because he doesn't use the keys for anything, so yeah. he just flips the switch to turn off the music. So why does it matter? They're not his keys. Whose and keys who's... are they? <laughs> and, and he looks just as confused as we are. <laughs> and he he don't let it go either. He's like, and these are the keys that are in his fucking pocket too. It's like somebody switched the keys in his own pocket. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and then uh, there's another. This is uh, a, a great moment coming up here too. This movie's just full of them. I mean, obviously you gr- got the great conversation with Willard that makes no sense. But uh, like that little wandering around, that was the only part of the movie that I really felt like was some padding, you know, because mm-hmm. it really didn't. And none of it like even made sense at all. No, not Susie Bellings. No, yeah, because like the. Like, first of all, they don't even know that somebody's been killed. They just know some lousy music's been <laughs> right. playing for the last half hour. But, um, I like, this is the part where I almost started wondering, did you guys ever think this maybe? I started wondering if Kendall was working with the killer, because he wandered, like, directly right into where the girl had been no, murdered. Not, no, man, not Kendall. I never thought that for a second. <laughs> oh, <laughs> not Big Dong Kendall. <laughs> this, this, is some great, this is the best acting in the movie, by the way. Yeah. Just bastard over and over. Yeah, she gets really righteous with screaming this shit. And Christopher George, not to be outdone, does some nice overacting there as well. I love I love how Christopher George is like having a telephone conversation with a guy who's probably like I don't know, probably like a hundred yards away in the same building. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what tells his partner. His partner says he's like tired and he's like I've been going twenty three hours straight. Christopher George tells him to take some uppers. Yeah, yeah. A police officer recommend to another police officer just take some fucking, just get wired, man. We gotta stay up. <laughs> and like Chris, Christopher George is really commanding to everybody, like we gotta stay up, we gotta catch this killer. Meanwhile, have, hasn't left his desk in days. Like, how are you gonna find a killer just sitting at a desk sifting through papers? Because he's having all these college kids do it for him. Well, yeah. And then we then we just have like another great transaction where this, his partner says, like, "Geez, I'm tired. I can't go through these files." And Christopher George says, "Hey, you know what? I'll send that kid Kendall." Yeah, to help you out. <laughs> his, partner, his partner says, "Like what? We can't use a suspect." And Christopher George gets instantly so offended. He's like, yeah. "What do you mean, suspect? Kendall's great." I'll tell you what. OJ would have never gotten in jail if uh, Christopher George was. Looks <laughs> <laughs> like he's gonna cry. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Not nah, Kendall." <laughs> now this is kind of the first indication this uh, killer masturbation scene here, where. Uh, you know, he's putting his mom's, uh, you know, f- uh, fuck me pumps on the uh, the corpse here. I guess this is the first time I was really like, okay, I kind of get where, where this is going yeah. now, you know. He only managed to put it on one shoe. Well, on one, uh, on one foot. On, one, on the Blu-ray, too, there's one a nice, foot, you, can, yeah. you can tell the detail. Like, the one shoe falls off, and you actually see the actress kind of curl her toes to try and put the shoe back on, even <laughs> though she's supposed to be dead. Yeah, he could, he could at least kill girls that have the right shoe size. Come on, get with it. Jean, some whatever Simone doesn't do uh, 
He doesn't do uh, more than one take. Who does this guy with the mustache look like? It's been bothering me all night. I mean, he looks has kind of a John Waters vibe to him. I was thinking, like, maybe a young John Cleese, but I don't know. I could see that. Like, John Cleese mixed with John Waters. (laughs) Which, what a fantastic creation that would be. If if John Cleese, John Waters, and Lee Van Cleef had a baby, it'd be this motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that is uh, this guy's origin. We don't know. Like, I really don't even want to make fun of him just because, like, he's, like, the only actor that, like, participates in all the special features now and shit still. For yeah, the and actually, I don't, it, it, the commentary is actually pretty fun to listen to because he's got a really good sense of humor about the film. But there's something about him, like, like you feel like you're watching an Android program to act in a movie <laughs> or a, a wax figure being dragged around weakened at Bernie style more than you are a real human being with emotions. Nope. As soon as she turns around, there's Kendall to bump her right in the groin there. <laughs> this fucker does not give up. Why? <laughs> I just love that this college kid is helping, like, the sergeant of police go through records. He, he tells uh, he tells the tennis pro, like, oh, yeah, the lieutenant wants me to help go through some records. And she's like, well, isn't he unorthodox? Yeah, he hired you. You're a tennis <laughs> pro. What are you doing? Tennis players, college students. No, no wonder this killer is having the spree of all time, like not getting caught. Is this the most inept police department in a movie history? It's got to be right. I mean, other than I mean, like, like those down south slashers, where there's some like Bubba Sheriff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's a great scene. You you could tell this. This silver-haired gentleman doesn't want anything to do with this cocky college kid. Mm-hmm. He's the only one that has any sense. He's the only one who knows how to yeah. be a cop. <laughs> He's like, fuck, man. No wonder we never catch any killers in this place. Except later on, he will lose that sense, and we'll see that eventually. Yeah. But... Like, I was really surprised. I think it was during the Paul Smith interview. He, he mentioned the Kindle guy and how he was a great actor and shit, and I, I read the Kindle guy's credits. Like he only made a couple other like it seemed like they were horror movies, uh, you know, at the time overseas. But uh, yeah, not much of a career, I guess, long term. Unless there's just he did shit so obscure that IMDb doesn't know about it. It's strange he didn't become the horror icon like Bruce Campbell did or something, you know? Yeah. Or you like we 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 could be bringing it back now and doing like Kendall versus Pieces on exactly. Stars. <laughs> He didn't even have the career of a Bruce Abbott. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Bruce Campbell. It's all about Bruce Abbott. <laughs> now here we are. We're kind of coming into the home stretch already here, mm-hmm. and we're only what like sixty-five minutes. Sorry, seventy minutes into the movie. Do you think the uh, short running time, the quick pace of this movie, is what really you know makes it good? Well, it's to its advantage for sure that it doesn't overstay its welcome, and it, it you can be like this wacky and this funny and get in and get out pretty quickly. If it, this kind of nonsense went on for two hours, even I would start to get a little like yeah. you know tired with it. Because even by like that time period, like even by like you know Friday Thirteenth standards, like they they pack a lot of gory victim deaths into a short running time, you know. Now this is the whole scene where I actually do like the dean's performance as he starts to get kind of really nervous and fidgety, and yeah. we'll see him like giving her the coffee and spiking it. 
Yeah. You know, he's got like dra- look at that. he's got like Dracula candles on his like uh, mantle there. This guy's definitely a bad guy. Yeah. You, know, you know, he's sticking those candles up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they used to be white. Yeah. <laughs> now they've seen every inch of his colon. But uh, but yeah, like obviously, okay, this is the the, the time. Now, what do you think? Like, I, like they actually show him like poisoning the coffee right here, right? Yeah, and like I kind of wish they didn't because I didn't really want to know right away that like they really give it away that he's up to some shit. And I, but like I totally, you know, he's nervous as fuck, and that's why he's going to kill this lady. But like I felt like he didn't really need to do this. Like I don't think she was suspecting him at all. No, and you're right. It is. It, this is an odd moment in the film as opposed to all the normal ones. But um, it's just like the movie has no idea how to reveal like who the killer is, and yeah. they just like. It, there is no big surprise reveal. It's just suddenly like, oh, by the way, it's this guy. Now you know. Yeah, I think a more logical movie would just have them sitting down to drink the tea, and then she starts getting woozy, and she's like, what's happening? And then he reveals himself. Like, a, like they really kind of just gave this away about three or four minutes too early. <laughs> it's very a interesting reveal. Yeah. Very interesting kitchen, though, where it's yeah, like I was say split that. and has that like, kind of glass door. I don't know. I don't There's know. like There's two a, kitchens, yeah, like in one. In one, it's weird. Yeah. But you know, this is Boston, right? And they they build oh, yeah, things yeah. interesting in Boston. I love too how she was like he was taking so long with the coffee that she was just about ready to get up and leave, but then right. he brings the coffee and she decides to stay instead. And he makes a big deal out of it. It's like it's not real coffee. It's like Sanka or something. And it's, it's, like, it's instant, yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, no shit, you made it in like 45 seconds. <laughs> Which was still too long for her, apparently. Exactly. She's like, oh, fuck this. I gotta get out there and find that killer. But I love this, too, in that she takes like two sips right here, and then she asks a question, he gets really nervous, and he's just like, do you want some more coffee? Yeah. And, and she's like, yeah, I, I would, actually. It turns into a bizarre coffee commercial here for a moment. Yeah, I'm surprised he doesn't like pick the jar up and look into the camera. Trev, the where's the Wendy's uh, scene? Oh, it's it's like the next thing we'll see. Yeah, I was wondering about that. How do they get those Wendy's wrappers into uh, Spain? <laughs> it's like a, they fly it's like them a, over? It's almost like for a moment, it's like Happy Madison presents pieces yeah. right, with like the, that kind of blatant product placement. I think if they did remake pieces, I would get the Adam Sandler crew to do it. <laughs> That's a good call. Here he is again with the second cup of... Okay, two cups of fake instant coffee, 35 drops of muscle relaxer, or whatever the fuck he's putting in. <laughs> like, how did you not taste Yeah, he really, it? like, he really overdoes it this time, I yeah. think. He's starting to just act like Mr. Bean, like, trying yeah, to make... Yeah, like, he's not a patient guy, but yeah, like, look how much, like, he puts in this time. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, he, put, he should just give her the bottle and be like, I got this great shit. It's really fucking Hey, you Wendy's. Yeah, yeah, everybody in Wendy's. No, they, okay, okay, did you see, like, okay, conveniently the Wendy's, like, fry box was empty and shit as the guy was fake eating the fries? <laughs> like, like everything, So what was he putting in his mouth? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, fucking... Probably there, well, there is a burger sitting there on his desk still, so he's one of those guys who like eats all his fries first and then eats the burger. I do that. I got I got to ration them fries to like the last bite of the burger. Uh, then I gotta have the last fry. No, oh, I, I do it the opposite. I, I try to have the last thing be the last bite of the burger, but I do eat them both at the same time. And then yeah. the Wendy cup, uh, the Wendy cup has to be facing the camera at all time. Yeah. Do you know anyone I, that like makes sure they eat their eats their burger where they go like around all the way so that the last bite of the burger is always the center of it? No. no, but that's 
I've known people that have done that with like uh, peanut butter and jelly and stuff. It's so. a good idea, though, right? Like I've, I've it like, is. I never thought yeah. of that. Like I, I kind of because there's nothing worse than when you get that last bite that's like seventy percent bun, right? Right. Like I, I kind of do angle it once I get down to the, you know, the the last whatever about a third of the burger. Then I try to eat the bread off, and then like yeah, yeah. but I, but I don't well, like, I mean, my, do, like my, my, circular shit. My go-to sandwich at Wendy's is the spicy chicken sandwich, and that's always like the great the sandwich. Chicken man. is always way bigger than the bun, so it's always sticking out of one end. So of course, that's what you leave for the end. You know? Yeah, I'm the kind of guy. I always got to eat my sides first, but then if I feel like I'm my I'm getting too full from the fries, then I gotta I gotta put it down and and get into the burger. You ever get that, Trev? You ever get the Wendy's spicy chicken with the cheese added? No, I haven't. Oh man, it's. It'll, it'll change. It'll change everything. Now here's what this cop. This cop suddenly loses his mind because <laughs> yeah, he's losing they, his shit. They right discover now. like the dean is the killer, and at first he's you know he's still like an actual detective, and he says, "Okay, I'm gonna go do something about it because I know he's about to kill this tennis pro." Kendall, you stay here, and then suddenly he's like, "He's like, no wait, what am I saying? We can just call from the car." Kendall, come on, I need you. It's like, no, you don't. You don't need Kendall's help at all. Trust me. There's nothing he can do to to add in this situation. Now they're talking she, shit about the gay guy. Yeah, she she's on her fifth cup of uh, elephant <laughs> tranquilizer coffee. I'll be right back, guys. I'll be back in about 42 seconds. Do we know... Uh, how did they find out that this guy was the killer and he, was, he had her? Because they found out that he had changed his name. Um, by looking at the city hall records, and once they realize they changed his name, they just—that's the thing too. The cop just jumps to a leap where he says, like, they look it up and find out that he was the kid whose mother was murdered, and he's just like, well, that must have—he must have snapped because his mom was murdered, so he must be the killer. I don't feel it. That—that's an unhealthy conclusion to jump to. I feel. Like. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> Um. So now she's she's finally like becoming paralyzed, but it feels mm-hmm. I feel like she's been there for like two hours. <laughs> I like how the uh, the elephant tranquilizer coffee like like it like paralyzes her, but keeps her awake and in a constant state of terror. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about how it just now started to take effect, and it. I, I get the feeling. It feels like she's been there all night. <laughs> yeah. Like her 15th cup of coffee. Sanka. Is instant coffee like like that? Is that like a real thing? I've never even heard of that. I remember there was some shit called like Sanka when I was a kid. And like you would see it like in a like a kind of clear plastic jar. Or probably was glass when I was a kid. And like it was like these little like they almost look like brown sugar crystals. And you just would put it in like hot water and stir it up. But it was like really artificial and like fake looking. Here we have everybody pulling up to the crime scene just in time. This movie is so damn convenient with like one group of characters talking and walking and then turning around and the other character being there and then everybody arriving at the same time. Like it's crazy. They have no problem all to like bringing Kendall up, just letting him, you know, enter the crime scene with them. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. who cares about the logistics and the uh, legalities? Uh, a private citizen barging in on a murderer if he were to get hurt or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, this is Boston. 
It's been with it's been a flag with say Boston rules. They don't even tell him to like wait out in the hall. They tell him like, yeah. okay, you can come in, but just yeah. if we start shooting, hit the ground, you know? Yeah. They say, listen, you can come in here, but if we tell you, if we start letting bullets fly, you jump on the ground. And ask why later. Yeah. <laughs> That's the Boston way. I'm Go sock. I'm sorry. Yeah. The I'm starting to wonder who's the worst cop, uh, Christopher George or Charles Bronson in 10 to Midnight. <laughs> 10 to Midnight, Charles Bronson. I'm- Arrest a man for multiple murders just because he found a masturbation machine in his apartment. <laughs> I love how like they're really like we have to search this uh, dean's office for for days to find somebody hiding in the corner. <laughs> like they really have no clue. Now, what do you think? Okay, uh, Linda Day there is par- her character's paralyzed. You know she's awake, but she's paralyzed. She can't literally move her arms, or move her legs, nothing. What do you think Kendall would have done to her if he would have caught her alone like that? Oh, I was just thinking this is like Kendall's dream scenario. Yeah, right? he's like, he's like, okay, just the police officer just wander off and look for the killer. I'll stay right here with her. I mean, <laughs> as soon as they turn their head, he's like fondling her boobs and shit. <laughs> His, his, I wonder if Kendall's mom had uh, like pre-written letters for the media explaining how he was a good kid just waiting for his next uh, rape conviction. <laughs> Ain't it weird how like uh, convicted rapists are now like the best people we have in society? Like everybody goes to bat for them <laughs> and defends <laughs> them in public. It's a little weird. I do love how when Kendall is, is carrying her and then the, the dean pops out and attacks him, he just drops... Drops her like a, oh, like a sack of potatoes. Yeah, really hits the right. ground face first. She got her more hurt in that moment than anything else that happened to her. Exactly. <laughs> It'd be awesome if like her head like hit the fucking coffee table and killed her. I have to say, I found this a little hard to believe. Like, I actually thought that this, even this nerdy Dean, like I thought he could easily overpower Kendall. Kendall kind of looks like a little wimp to me. I think it would have been cooler, too, if, like, because, you know, the, he kills everybody with a chainsaw, except for the waterbed lady. He used the knife there, but instead of using the knife here, I think it would be awesome if, like, they were just running around this, like, little fucking office with the chainsaw going, and he's, like, flailing it all around, trying to swing at him and hit him. Yeah. Kendall is like uh, Keith Gordon and Christine after he gets the car. Right. You're right about that. <laughs> No, uh, the cops come in and, sh- and shoot the dean right in the head. And I have to Who's say, this guy? Yeah, this motherfucker <laughs> came out of nowhere. This other detective. But I have to say, for a movie with great gore, that was like the worst effects headshot. It looks like, like he got shot with like a paintball. Yeah, like bird. This like pink this new detective ball. is like that like uh, that fake friend that shows up in the third act of the room that we've like never seen before. <laughs> yeah, something becomes a main character. Yeah, Christopher George just caressed Kendall's face there. I'm sure kid. that I'm sure that that new cop that came in is a perfectly capable cop, but yeah. Christopher he George probably... he loves Kendall so much that he didn't even call that guy. <laughs> no, he was that guy was probably on vacation and he just got back to town. And he's like, "What the hell's been happening while I've been gone? <laughs> Who are you been working with? Why are you outsourcing all the police?" That's great too. He then <laughs> he then fondles her face <laughs> as she's paralyzed, can't move. Now, why does the silver-haired cop throw the blanket over the dead Dean? Like, why? It's like, don't you have to do, like, the crime scene and all that shit? Yeah. 
Oh, here, Kendall, he's kissing her on the hand. Yeah, he kissed her hand. And I like how he's, like, playing house with the doll here. Like, he props her up, even though she probably shouldn't be propped up. And he's sitting there talking to her and shit. It's like a really creepy, like, fake date they're on right now. Yeah, there's really no first aid protocol. She should be laying on her side. Now, by the way, another... Another thing I noticed, thanks to the Blu-ray, um, in this, when the detective here is showing Kendall the puzzle, the jigsaw. Uh, yeah. yeah, keep in mind that the puzzle that Kendall's holding <laughs> and looking at is not the same one that no. they keep showing in close-up. No, it's and that not. he's been building. Yeah, and then the, he put they they did some uh, like cartoon stuff where he he like touched the bookcase and it like spun around. Yeah, if there's like a secret room back there, and then obviously the corpse made of all the different pieces fell out on Kendall, and it was like a what do you call it? It was like a, a, like a slow motion. Kendall looked like such a girl screaming. <laughs> like when I saw this the first time and you know, the, the corpse jumps out on Kendall and he, he's screaming, I thought it was going to cut to black right there. Well, yeah, that would have been enough actually, right? And that's yeah. the, I think what I think what most movies would do, but pieces ain't most movies. It has to go the extra mile. They have to show that these uh, elderly police officers are actually friends with uh, Kendall. They, they tell him, oh, come on, it's time to go home. He's like, oh, I almost forgot my jacket. Yep, here we go. The, okay, now explain this to me. The corpse re- reaches up, grabs Kendall's crotch through his jeans, and, and literally tears like talons, claw-like talons through his his jeans, and uh, actually like squeezes and pops his penis. Like that's it. one thing I, I did notice for the first time on the Blu-ray just now is the like little like explosion. Yeah, yeah. like his dick explodes. Like, like his his <laughs> balls like burst. And obviously it was because some of the body parts were from his girlfriend that he was cheating on, right? That's what I got out of it. Is that I? I've never thought of that. I've just I've I've never tried to figure that moment out because really just the joy of that moment is that there is no reason for it. <laughs> Yeah. Did he have an established girlfriend? Girlfriend, like. I mean, I just assumed he was like banging everybody. Well, yeah. what, what happened was in that that scene where the girl was like, "Oh, meet me in the pool. We're gonna fuck or whatever." The reason he didn't go fuck his girlfriend in the pool was he went to fuck another girl. Like th- he explained that to the nerd later, I think, and he's like, "Oh yeah, don't tell him." Oh, yeah. Copyright spectacular film productions. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's a great production. So that is it for pieces. Like, now, I, do you what do you, do you guys think that like a uh, how would an ending like that play in a movie that would come out and get like an actual theatrical release today? Oh, it would be how ridiculous. play back then. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I gotta admit that's the only part of the movie I didn't like because it's like okay, like it makes no fucking sense. I mean, it's a course. Oh, it's, it's not alive. It can't do that, you know. Yeah, but that's what I, that's actually why I love that moment, and it really is a moment that feels at home with like like Bird and I have talked about this a lot about a, a lot of the. Uh, surreal italian horror films ending on moments like that where just something completely nonsensical happens yeah just i don't know it really it really was uh plus it is like you're like after a whole movie of kendall being like this like you know undeserved horn dog he finally gets his kind of come up at the end yeah it's really weird so i mean that's that's it for pieces you it ends on a penis popping <laughs> <laughs> Up there was Sleepaway Camp for uh, memorable horror endings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, just as quickly as it rolled in, pieces rolls away. Bird, where do you fall on the ending? You like it or? Does oh it... Yeah. yeah. I yeah, mean, it's I it's like it. it's. I mean, it's it's. 
this whole movie's nonsense, <laughs> you know? I mean, to, so. like, like to, I hate it when every movie after Carrie had to have the Carrie ending. Like, it became too predictable, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. And, like, this movie, you know, the copyright's like 83, but it really feels like a movie from, like, 78, don't it? It feels even older. Yeah, that's than that's what I that's what I do. I mean, it definitely has like the more of a sleazy '70s feel to it than an '80s. But it, it, I mean, it's it's like we said um, when we were watching it, it. It also has a lot of that post uh, Friday the Thirteenth, like uh, American slasher stuff in it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the late great pieces. Uh... Now, how do you can you believe that? I mean, so you just watch this film, like we all enjoy it, but a movie like Pieces has this kind of amazing three disc limited edition Blu-ray release. Yeah. While like so many other films are like kind of languish with no release and you know <laughs> or bare bones, yeah. frustrating releases. Like, it's, think, what a world we live in, huh? I think yeah. Well, I think this release obviously is a grindhouse releasing this type of movies they specialize in, but um. I think the reason this release is so good is because the previous releases it was treated so shabbily. Like, I really yeah, no, like... and, I, and I, I also just think it, it like warms my heart sometimes, right? When like a director, you know, because the, the thing about these films is they often are a labor of love, you know, just by people who kind of don't know what they're doing. But it is heartwarming that these films that are made and then are kind of just like rejected by most people, right? Yeah. But they can still go on to get like that kind of Blu-ray release and show that they are important to a certain segment of movie lovers. It, it makes me happy. Do we have any movies coming out these days that you think will end up in a spot like this? Or do you think that this is just an era that's just, you know, they, um, they just don't make movies like this anymore? I mean, yeah, I don't really not it's, in it's the hard US, to say. I don't think. Yeah, honestly, because I feel like the U.S. even the independent scene is trying to mimic a more commercial whatever. I don't think there's that many people because like you know we have all these movies that ironically like try to pay tribute to Grand House movies and all that, and they're cool and I like movies like that. But I don't think those movies will stand the test of time the way the real Grindhouse films did. You know? Yeah, and hell, eighty five percent of those are all parodies anyway. Right. Like, yeah. Right. And I mean, to be and just at the end of the day, you know, we don't have double bills anymore, so we don't have real B movies being made, as the definition goes. Right. And then also, you know, like you said, they're just there's like tribute ones, but even though they do, there anybody who goes inside a family video and looks at the new release shelves knows that there still are movies that are made just as kind of like, you know, tax shelters and things like that. Right. But certainly nothing like it was back then with all these just investors crazy to make profit on these, you know. Right cheapo movies and it's just a completely different world and so much of it is so much of it like i mean like i said it's it's all parody every everything's postmodern now you know Mm -hmm. well i think also too maybe we have to blame the audience a little bit just in terms of um you know i I don't i don't know if anybody saw this coming or whatever but when we all abandoned the video stores you know like I mean, I guess it was people really abandoning the drive-ins and then abandoning, like, seeing movies like this theatrically, and then the last straw was abandoning the video stores. I mean, there's just no way for these movies to, like, make any revenue. So, like, Yeah, exactly. Like, why would you make a pieces today? Like, you can make yeah. pieces and say, well, we're going to turn a profit because we're going to tour it, and it's going to play in New York for a couple months, then we're going to take it to L.A., and then we'll play it in Chicago. And, yeah, but nobody will and see then- it. And then for a while after that, you know, you're like, well, we can turn a profit because it'll go into video stores and people will see the box and rent it. But 
now you make this movie and it's nothing's going to happen with it. Yeah. So the thing is, I mean, to be honest, there could be movies like this being made now, and we just don't know because there's right. no way for us to know. Yeah. And I, I feel like most of the the streaming services these days are kind of getting away from stuff like this because they're starting to just sign contracts with all the major studios and mm-hmm. and that, stuff like and that. They want to be their own TV networks, like you know. Yeah. Like, and that's another thing is like it was kind of the migration to the streaming model. I think is what got people more pussy whipped on the TV model, because like when Netflix streaming first came out, like like the idea of like. You know, it was kind of what a lot of people talked about for years and years with video on demand coming and stuff that we could sit here and watch it, you know, either any movie we wanted or at least a huge library of films. But that, but it turns out, you know, that model of binge watching, like people weren't going to sit down and watch two or three horror movies in a night. They're just going to watch a whole season of a TV show, you know, over, you know, in one night or whatever. So not to sound like a dick, because, I mean, you know, like, you know, we all whatever we all we all did it we were all part of it we just didn't see really what was coming down the line but uh you know i really think we killed these movies <laughs> honestly <laughs> i mean because if there was a way for people to make money off them somebody would still be making them you know what i mean yeah yeah we we, we all we all got a hard dick over Mad Men and breaking bad <laughs> we left Movies like Pieces in the Dust. <laughs> you want to blame somebody for Grindhouse movies dying? Blame yourself. The only the only nice thing that you can say about it, though, is that no matter how old you get, and you feel like you've seen them all, right? Yeah. There were so many of these Grindhouse movies right. made in the 70s and 80s that people are still like discovering them and like re-releasing them. And you can still find some gems you haven't seen before. Like that's the only thing that cheers me up is that I, I feel like I'll, I'll still get to see a bunch I haven't, uh, you know, as I keep going along. And especially with companies like Grindhouse and Vinegar Syndrome and Blue Underground and all these people, you know, still putting these things out. Yeah, I mean, I really feel you know, getting back to the Forty Second Street, like whatever, like, like I mean, obviously I don't have any desire to go in a theater full of piss and smack junkies and shit but like i really wish somewhere in like a really cool cultural place like uh first of all i wish like the single screen theaters would come back but like i understand there's there's business model reasons why they don't really exist so much anymore but like i really would love to see like a developer somebody in like a really culturally cool place like either chicago or austin texas or just somewhere where there's like a pretty good independent film scene like actually kind of like take an area and kind of build three or four single or or double screen theaters and really just have it be like a great film center you know like you have one oh that's like we uh so while bird and i were watching we watched that documentary together with some friends and bird remember we talked about that about we said why doesn't someone just like take 42nd street a part of it and just rebuild those theaters and let it become like an attraction kind of, but where you mm-hmm. do run it like 24 hours and you do show these old movies, but you let it be like kind of a, yeah, it's going to be kind of a hipster thing, but still you'll get to go and see like the cool movies, but it won't have the druggies and the, the muggings yeah. and stuff. It'll be like more better patrolled now and stuff. And I would, I think that's a great idea. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's entertainment districts everywhere and, uh, you know, places where, you know, have high tourism, you know, the, I mean, you could build all kinds of shit. You can make a family oriented with, you know, golf cart, you know, whatever fucking arcades and whatever, and all the, you know, miniature golf and all that kind of bullshit too, but like have three or four theaters and, you know, it doesn't have to be all like borderline porno bullshit, but, uh, you know, you could have a mix of repertory programming and like, you know, 
Like, because like, what a lot of people don't know either was like a lot of like the mainstream shit played on Forty Second Street too. Like, you can look yeah. online and see marquees that had ET on it and shit. You know what I mean? Well, I think uh, like uh, places like the uh, the Alamo Draft House and uh, the New Beverly are kind of yeah, kind of what we're talking about. I mean, the sad thing about the New Beverly was like even a, like like I lived in LA for like eight years, and I sadly found out it's it's just a hillbilly wasteland of just people who really don't care. Like, everybody just rather see Shrek Part 8 or whatever, like, because the new Beverly, man, like, sad to say, I mean, it's really only just being kept kept alive now by Tarantino, and it's just, like, because before he officially went, like, 100% all in on it, like, it was going to close several times, like, it, it find, it, it's sad that even in LA, it can't be sustained enough off of just selling tickets, selling popcorn, whatever, like, you need a real kind of you know wealthy benefactor to keep a place like that open you know what i mean well i do i do think in recent years from what i've seen from the people i follow on twitter and facebook and you know the kind of screenings i wish i could see but i don't live in la is that part of the issue is you really do have to make it something special now right you can't just show big trouble in little china again because everyone has it on dvd and why would they bother coming out and paying for parking and then paying for the movie take you and they can sit home but if you can get a cast member to come and do a Q&A, or you can have some kind of trivia event beforehand with a prize, you know what I mean? You have to make everything an experience now, yeah. which is fine. I get that. And there's like a, there, it's, it's valid if that's what you have to do. Trev and I are lucky enough to live by the Redford Theater, which is um, like a, it's all like retro screenings. And I think about probably about 95% of them are all 35 millimeter yeah, um, it's mean, the theater that was in uh, It Follows. If, right, if you remember that? I do remember that. And like, yeah, like I was really surprised once I started kind of talking to you guys about the subject because I live in theatrical exhibition wasteland here, and I was really surprised how much cool shit you guys have there. And like, yeah, Trev. I mean, if well, Trev, I mean, we're, I, we've talked about it a little bit, but it, it is kind of surprising just how much stuff we we have out here or yeah i mean we're actually pretty lucky because in and actually in different areas where we have like a bunch of different art kind of theaters about 20 or 30 minutes away from us uh you know off the top of my head i can rattle we have the redford and the main art and the michigan theater and the state theater so we're, we're fairly lucky yeah like cincinnati had a good scene for a long time and then because uh, it's kind of the same people who own all the art house theaters like it's not a chain they're all called something different but it's pretty much the same people who own it and, uh, yeah, like, I mean, I grew up going to these art house theaters, and they kept expanding them, putting more screens into them. And, like, you would go see some obscure shit, whatever, and it'd, it'd always be packed. But, uh, unfortunately, I guess for business reasons, they started, you know, like, if they have four screens now, two of them are actual art movie, and the other two, like, I mean, they'll play anything now, like Transformers or whatever. And I really miss just the places that were, like, the sanctuary for, like, good films, you know what I mean? Um, in Chicago, one of the, the theater that, like, um, they do the movie screenings for G-Fest is, uh, is, is a, uh, like, a historic one-screen theater. And, like, throughout the day, they show all the current stuff, but, you know, the G-Fest people run it out at night. But, yeah, you know, like, they'll show, you know, the new Avengers or whatever, but, yeah, it's like you were saying, it's one of the old single-screen theaters, so, like... You know, whatever movie you want to see, you know, it might not be playing at the time you want to see it because they might be playing something else. Right. And, like, I don't know. Like, I mean, obviously you can't make a ton of money on, like, whatever. But, like, like even here in the wasteland I live in, um, 
they do like you they used to just be on Wednesdays now they do a, a matinee of it on Sunday too but like they they always have a lineup of classic movies and they play a lot of old shit from the 50s and stuff but whenever they play the 80s stuff like and I used to go to a lot of them but whenever they play the 80s stuff like it sells out or damn near sells out like I couldn't see Grease cuz that sold out um couldn't even see Dirty Dancing cuz that sold out I mean you know, I don't know, like, I think, and it's, like, that thing of, like, how do people, how, like, I'm, like, how do enough people even know other than just checking the theater's website? I mean, I think if it's, like, a once-a-week thing, I think just about any theater anywhere could get away with playing classic movies, but they just really don't, you know what I mean? I don't know, it's pretty sad. So this has been the uh, get-off-my-lawn uh, segment of Asian <laughs> This has been, like, the fucking stop-streaming-everything <laughs> segment. <laughs> Like, and the only reason I've really come to this sourpuss thing about it is, like, I'm sorry, but streaming sucks in terms of, like, there's no rich experience around it. Like, it's great. They're like, oh, I want to see this movie, and they have it, and I can just press a button and play it. But overall, like... And also, uh, streaming, even streaming in HD is not giving no. you the quality you'd get on a Blu-ray. Like, like how we're sitting here popping a bone over uh, this uh, pieces. Like, I mean, I watched this on my good newer TV the first time, but just watching it doing this commentary on my 1080p very basic set from 2007, I mean, it looks it looks ten times more amazing than fucking the highest quality Netflix looks, you know what I mean? And also, in my apartment, our signal is wonky, so it's mm-hmm. wishy-washy if my streaming even, like, works right. Like, Trev's had... <laughs> experiences here and we're trying yeah. trying to stream stuff and it's just like it has to buffer every don't even get and, me going my one of the worst experiences of my life was watching bone tomahawk for the first time at bird's oh, place because it it like the streaming we kept going out and then they would come on and you know that thing where like for the first two minutes the movie looks like shit it's like completely digitized. I hate that yeah it looks like youtube I, w- I would sit there i would sit there and let the film buffer for 10 minutes if it could start playing in regular quality i i hate that the f- that's like another thing i hate about streaming is like we just have to accept that every tv show every movie we're ever going to watch till the end of the time because all we want to do is stream the first two minutes of it going to look like fucking youtube from 2007 <laughs> i fucking hate that <laughs> Like and they need to like make a concession for, it, now where every show needs to start with like two minutes of like just nothing. What's <laughs> the most what's the most frustrating for me is like it's inconsistent. Like right. sometimes it'll everything'll be fine and then other times I'll stream something and it'll be crap. Like mm-hmm. or like I'll be binging like Game of Thrones and I'll say I watch four episodes, the first two will be fine and then the the two after that'll like have to buffer every five minutes and it's like what is this <laughs> like like with me is i don't have so much the quality of connection problem you guys have i have more of the apps being a pain in the ass like and i have everything that i run at, run these things off of i have multiple rokus i have ps3s i have ps4s that we use like and like hulu is the worst but even netflix sometimes like loads up and it's just like not working right and shit is going weird with it like i'm so sick of that fucking experience of just like, I'm so sick of people blowing smoke that, like, oh, God, we're so technologically advanced now. It's like, then how come this shit is, like, so fucking, like, Game Boy-ish? It's, like, fucking garbage. <laughs> oh, but anything to drive to a store and, and rent a movie. <laughs> anything to avoid that. But anyway, that has been the pieces. Grindhouse crying fucking tears into our spilt milk. <laughs> Eulogy. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I want to thank you guys for doing this. I want to thank you both for helping out, because we could not have done the millions and millions of Halloween episodes that we did this year without 
both your guys help so i just want to say thank you and you know i don't know if you know the three of us or two of us or whatever will end up doing another one before the halloween thing so if this is the last hurrah uh, i want to say thank you bird thank you trev uh and i doubly thank you for taking time on a, by the way breaking the fourth wall recording this on a friday night these gentlemen put their friday night plans you know on the back burner so uh, my Friday night plans were watching pieces. That's all I did. <laughs> yeah. Every Friday uh, night. That's all I did. It was a pleasure. And, um, as always, uh, it was a lot of fun and I would appreciate if, uh, everyone listens to, if it bleeds, we can kill it and Kaiju transmissions. Exactly. And Trev, I'm sure you'd appreciate it if people watched days of future or listen, what do they do? I'd with really it? like if they listen to it, uh, <laughs> watching it to, won't uh, do much. days of future podcast. Yeah. What if I did want to watch it? Uh, come over to uh, Joe's place when we record it. You can sit there. And I've watch done that here. before too. You can yeah, charge yeah. a mission to Joe's living room or wherever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, check out those podcasts. Um, help support the 1980s movie graveyard on Patreon. Patreon.com slash 1980s movie graveyard. Only $2 a month gets you access to all kinds of bonus content and make sure that we keep producing this fucking podcast forever. The cost of a Wendy's sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Like, not even the good Wendy's sandwich. Like, the the budget, like, little tiny yeah. thing that ain't even going to fill you up or count as a meal. Yeah. So, yeah, help us out with that because the more we can build this show and grow it and do cool things with advertising and stuff. Like, advertising is the main reason why we have the Patreon, so... We really appreciate it. But the bigger it gets, the cooler we can make it for you guys because, you know. Yeah. So whenever you feel like going to Wendy's and getting that junior cheeseburger and that mini Frosty. Mm-hmm. That thimble just, fucking Frosty. Yes. Yeah, just go go to go and, and, and give that money to the 80s movie Graveyard. Exactly. Yeah, because who knows? Someday maybe we could be so big that we could put on like a live screening of pieces and we get could. Kendall there, you know? Well, my my goal for this podcast, if it ever became big enough, is that actually we could uh, start a movie studio that specializes, uh, you know, through donations, we could start a small micro-budget movie studio that actually recreates new versions of these films, you know, bring the era back. That's what I want, because I'm sick of this streaming fucking garbage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, won't, you know what will happen is we'll make that studio, then we'll start streaming everything. Okay, stream we'll become stream. what we hate. Exactly. <laughs> Like George Lucas and J.J. Abrams both said, you live long enough, you become the villain. (laughs) All right, everybody, have a great, uh, whatever, mid-October, almost Halloween. Have a great Halloween. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bird and Trev. Thank you to all our awesome listeners. Keep horror alive. Keep the 1980s alive. Keep uh, spread the word, fucking share whatever. Not just of this show, but anything, anything nineteen eighties movie related you see on Facebook, whatever <laughs> poster picture. I don't give a shit. Let's bring this shit back. Because if keep, I gotta, keep the nostalgia flowing, exactly. Because if I gotta fucking sit through another fucking Michael Bay Transformers movie, God, come on, let's get some good okay, shit. Just going. start loading up the Facebook page with Iran Contra stuff. You know, <laughs> exactly. All right, everybody, have a good night. Take care. Stay safe. Stay spooky. You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows, visit electronicmediacollective.com. Yeah, but I mean, The Exorcist, if it came out, now would probably be PG-13.
You think? Nah, dude. Did, eh, didn't I don't she, think like, so. kill her vagina uh, with a metal cross? Other than, like, that, that's probably the only scene that would, like, tip it over. You always do this, Trev. I gotta call you out on this. You always <laughs> do this. You go, oh, that'd be PG-13. What about this? Well, that's, it's like, if you have to censor it to get PG-13, it wouldn't be PG-13. No. Well, if, 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 if the Exorcist couldn't get PG back then, right. I don't think it, it would get PG-13 now. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does make sense. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.